Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. As we dive into this, I understand it's a very touchy subject, um, and it's easy to get offended with things that don't mesh with our flesh. And so uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Miss Sandy, uh, this summer, and she was telling me about how Pastor Tim had preached a sermon one Sunday and like stepped on her toes. Um, and you know, she asked herself the question, why am I offended? Why am I offended? And so then she went on to continue to listen to that same sermon over and over to get to the root of her offense. And I thought that that was so powerful. And so as we're listening to things like this, it's like, oh, like, that's kind of offensive um, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in the inside of you and address why is this offensive to me? What inside of me is causing offense and to let the Holy Spirit um, deal with us in that. So the most damaging thing that the enemy is going to try to do to attack culture is to attack the family unit, to divide marriages, to put their kids against their parents, to divide their parents against their kids, to make men think that they're supposed to be women and women men, um, you know, to have people question who they are and what their purpose is. Um, And so there's a lot of important questions that we're going to answer over the next two weeks. Um, Just some of them here, when and where did all of this start? You know, I feel like I never heard about any of this in the news until the last like five years. So why is this all of a sudden coming about? Um, Is it a biological thing? Is it a mental thing? If I'm not transgender, then what does this have to do with me? As a Christian, are we supposed to use people's preferred pronouns? Uh, What do I say to someone struggling with their gender identity? And then the biggest question, what does God say about all of this? Um, But before we get into all of this, I want to define some terms so that we're all on the same page, because used to, gender and sex, that meant the same thing. That's not the same thing anymore. And so if you're gonna talk to somebody about it, y'all aren't gonna be on the same page if you think that that's the same thing. So, um, but according to my most recent search, um, there are not two genders, there's 112 genders, just in case you didn't know. Um, The first person to claim that there was a distinction between sex and gender was a sexologist in 1955 named John Money. We're going to talk about him later, but to name some terms, first one, we'll start with gender. It's social and cultural distinctions between sexes. Then we have gender identity. It's the way individuals perceive and wish to name themselves. And then you have biological sex, so physical characteristics that help us differentiate people. um, What is male, female, your chromosomes, hormones, genital, secondary characteristics like your voice and your body, your hair distribution. So biological sex means that you were born with these things, not necessarily that you identify with them. Um, Do you just want to point out sex is not assigned, it is determined. You don't assign sex to a child based on their habits or their interests. Um, The sex of a child is determined. So, you know, I talk about there's only two sexes, there's male and female. The very next thing I hear is what about intersex? So let's talk about that a group of conditions in which there is a discrepancy between the external genitals and the internal genitals, um, also known as hermaphroditism. Uh, This condition could also be called disorders of sex development. It is a birth defect. 0.02% of the general population are truly classified as intersex. But any time that you have a birth defect, that doesn't create a new, um, a different class of human being. We simply recognize it as a deviation from the norm. A non-binary refers to a wide range of gender identities that are not exclusively male or female. Um, So 
it's, it's two options. You got black, white, male, female, good, bad, two options. So people who identify um, as non-binary feel that these binary categories don't reflect their experience of gender. Um, and people use them when they don't resonate just with the majority of male and female, masculinity, femininity. Um, you're also gonna hear terms like gender queer, gender fluid, pangender, woo, it's a lot. <laughs> to keep them all together, but these are all considered non-binary identities. So then we have transgender. It's an umbrella term uh, for the many ways in which people might experience and express their gender identities differently from people um, whose sense of gender is congruent with their biological sex. So for example, a man who just doesn't simply feel very masculine might use the word transgender to express his tension. So, and then we have gender roles. So commonly accepted expectations of male and female that vary from culture to culture. So there's a huge misconception that gender or sex is determined by interests and hobbies and what you feel. So, you know, culture might say because my two-year-old likes to wear my shiny black high heels that he was, he must have been a girl. He must, he was supposed to be a girl, I guess. Or maybe he's a two-year-old boy that sees something shiny and wants to play with it. Um... Growing up, I was a total tomboy. I wanted to play sports. My boy cousins played football, so I wanted to play football. I wanted to build stuff with power tools. I didn't want to wear dresses. Total tomboy. And I'm so glad that my parents did not give me puberty-blocking hormones to keep me from going through my pubescent stage to become a woman. They knew that I would grow out of it because my mom was also a tomboy, as it's just, it's just life. It's how it works. Um, I had a girl... One of our youth girls came to me several years ago and she's like, I just, I don't feel like a female because I want to like fix cars and I hate makeup and I hate dresses. And, and I told her, I said, you can do masculine things like a woman. You can do feminine things like a man. So there's these, uh, we'll just get into gender roles some more here, but um, your psychology says, here we go. Okay, your psychology um, is your, your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. So that's what culture says. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. So here's our, our gender roles for men. It's like, if you're gonna be a man, you gotta hunt and you gotta fish, you gotta build things, you gotta spit, you gotta have big biceps. Like, this is what makes you a man, okay? That's not true completely. Men can be musical. They can be artsy, they can be fashion forward, they can enjoy cooking, okay? Except maybe you cook like a man instead of cooking like a woman, you know what I mean? <laughs> we assume that all women should wear makeup and dresses, we should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, we should enjoy shopping, okay? Uh, and, and if you don't like these things, then there must be something wrong with you. It's like, well, I don't identify with that, so what's wrong with me, okay? Something is messed up in here, but that could not be further from the truth. Um, the next term that we're gonna highlight is uh, gender dysphoria. So this is a psychological term for the distress that some people feel when their internal sense of self doesn't match their biological sex. So basically somebody who feels that they were born in the wrong body. So um, according to Black's Medical Dictionary, gender dysphoria occurs in one out of 30,000 men and one out of 100,000 females. 
So for reference, the population of Hot Springs is 35,000. So one person in the whole city of Hot Springs struggles with true gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria is not a sin. I want to point that out. To internally feel like you don't belong to a certain group of people is not a sin. I want to make sure we understand that. Paul McHugh from John Hopkins Medical Center said, gender dysphoria is the official psychiatric term for feeling oneself to be the opposite sex. It belongs in the family of similarly disordered assumptions about the body, such as anorexia nervosa and body dysmorphic disorder. Its treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity-fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false, problematic nature of the assumption and to resolve the, the psychosocial conflicts provoking it. So if a woman is anorexic, skin and bones, but she feels like she's fat, you don't give her liposuction. We address the psychological problems that are at hand. So society is saying that the solution to young people's gender dysphoria is to give them puberty blockers. That will fix it all. Just give them puberty blockers, and they don't really know what they want to be, and they can figure it out later. But studies show that up to 90% of kids who struggle with gender dysphoria, if you were to just let them go through a normal puberty, that 90% of them will come to terms and come be at peace with their bodies, if able to go through a normal puberty. They will have avoided dangerous medical drugs and procedures that, that delay puberty and it castrates them. Okay, wait a minute, Sarah. So if there's only one out of 30,000 people who are actually medically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, then why do I see transgender people everywhere that I go. Why? Why is it all over the place? I'm glad you asked. There is something called rapid onset gender dysphoria. So this is the sudden development of a feeling or disassociation from one's biological sex or the adoption of a transgender identity during adolescent years or young adulthood caused by peer influence and social contagion. This is, I mean, so many young people that I see, I'm like, yep, this is it, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Lisa Littman of Brown University, she coined the term rapid onset gender dysphoria because most of these kids announced that they were trans in a way that seemed like out of the blue, totally sudden uh, to their parents and to their counselors, like where did this come from? So in 2018, Littman published the first peer-reviewed study on rapid onset gender dysphoria where she surveyed 256 parents whom all had kids that kind of fit the criteria of what she's talking about here. And so, and here's what they found that all these kids had in common. A few of the children showed any sign of gender dysphoria to their parents growing up, none at all. Their new identity seemed out of the blue. Many, if not all, of their friends at school were trans, and their coming out often followed their friends coming out as trans and they engaged in heavy online and social media activities surrounding their coming out. This is huge, so parents of young people like monitoring like your, your kids' social media time and what, what kind of groups they're in. Uh, Preston Sprinkle has written a couple books on this and I've watched a ton of his interviews. And, um, and he's not interviewing Christians, he's just interviewing people who transitioned to the opposite sex and then detransitioned back. And he asked them, so like, what happened? Like, what's your story? Like, why did you, what made you want to, you know, become the opposite sex? And they're like, I was, I was fine being a girl. I was always a girl and I enjoyed girly things. And then I got online and got in these Facebook groups of transgender people. And they were so loving and welcoming. And 
I just kind of got pulled into it. And they said within a matter of weeks, they started to question their gender identity. And one girl watched her interview. She said within two months, she was already taking cross-sex hormones just because of the online groups that she was in and what she was feeding herself. Um, number five, many of them had other mental health concerns that were not being dealt with. So this mental health thing is huge um, because 63% of the kids referred to in Lippmann's study had one or more diagnosis of a psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopment disability preceding the onset of their gender dysphoria. So some of their... Um, some of their diagnoses, just run through these really quickly, 48% uh, had experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to the onset of their, of their gender dysphoria. So they experienced something really traumatic in their life before ever coming out. 45% were engaging in non-suicidal self-injury prior to the dysphoria. 15% had been diagnosed with ADHD, 12% had been diagnosed with OCD, 12% were in the autism spectrum, 7% had an eating disorder, and 7% were bipolar. All of these mental health issues were issues before they came out with their gender dysphoria. So th this is just kind of showing the significance of taking care of the mental health and what it leads to if not. When gender dysphoria is not treated with care, with prayer, with help, with counseling, it escalates to a four-part process. Uh, number one is they begin to socially transition. So maybe they start going by a name of the opposite gender. Maybe they start dressing like the opposite gender. They just kind of take on this identity on the outer part. Uh, number two is they begin to block their puberty. Um, so they take puberty blockers if they have not gone through all of their puberty stage yet. Um, and then cross-sex hormones. So men taking high levels of estrogen, women taking high levels of testosterone. And then the final step is sex reassignment surgery where their genitals are removed and or replaced with that of the opposite sex. Um, rhetorical question, but do you know at what age pediatricians will begin to medically affirm children of their gender identity? At whatever age they ask for it. So at three and four years old, if they want to be treated as a different gender, pediatricians are medically affirming them at that age. These are disturbing, but these are just pictures that were just on Facebook and YouTube and social media. So children are being brought to pride parades and drag shows. They're encouraged to dress and dance seductively. There was just like a daytime television talk show on the other day, and this little boy was pole dancing on the stage dressed as a drag queen. This is daytime, just primetime television. It's, it's evil, and it's something that their little minds are too innocent to even comprehend. It's just, it's just per perversion. So at three, four, five years old, Pediatricians are able to start treating children. At age 10 and 12, they're able to start taking puberty blockers. And at age 15, girls are able to have double mastectomies and have both of her breasts permanently removed. And I just think, which I have four kids, uh, they're nine, seven, four, and two. And I just think about my nine-year-old, it's like, he changes what he wants to be three times a day when he grows up. Like, he's like, mom, I'm gonna be an author. I'm like, sweet. And he's like, oh, I'm, also, I'm gonna own a restaurant. I'm gonna have restaurants, um, and I'm going to be a professional YouTuber, and um, I'm going to wrestle alligators and stuff like they do on the TV shows, and I was like, you're going to do, do all of those? Like, all of those full-time. Cool. So, <laughs> he doesn't even know what he wants to eat for lunch, okay? He does not have the foresight and the reasoning and the understanding or the maturity to make a life-altering decision at nine years old. My seven-year-old Judah, 
He cannot decide at seven years old if he's gonna want to be a father when he's 25, okay? He's not thinking about that, but giving them something at seven and nine years old that will castrate them to where they are unable to have children, it's insane. Uh, Kevin Sorbo is an actor. He said, if an 18-year-old isn't mature enough to own a firearm, then maybe five-year-olds aren't mature enough to change their gender. Go figure. They can't buy cigarettes. They can't vote. They can't see rated R movie. They can't rent a hotel. They can't rent a car. But you can choose to cut off body parts and be something else. It's madness. So what we're doing is we're taking a boy who doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin, and for five years, we're going to put him in a dress and call him by a girl's name and just completely block his puberty. But if we would have just let him go through his natural puberty, the rush of testosterone that he receives through puberty would have been the very thing that he needed to push him out of that uncomfortable stage that he was in to manhood. Instead, we're just putting a halt on that testosterone so that he never experiences that. Do you know how many studies there are on long-term effects of hormone use in kids? Zero. There are no long-term studies. So this whole generation right now is a bunch of guinea pigs. There's no proof that puberty blockers like Lupron are safe. There's no proof of it. So you combine puberty blockers with cross-sex hormones and you've sterilized a child. Okay, cool, Sarah. How does this affect me if I'm not transgender? What does this have to do with me? Why should I care if somebody wants to become a girl? Um, You know, if we just go on minding our business and just supporting people, whatever you want to do, that leads to a grown man going in the bathroom with my four-year-old daughter. It leads to people wanting to identify as other things, not just a different gender, but different ages and a different species, where a grown woman can identify as a nine-year-old and join a third-grade class. And, And you're forced to accept her reality or else you're committing a hate crime. So now we're at a place where as a parent, in some places, children don't even have to get their parents' consent to transition. Um, In Canada, father right here, he was imprisoned when his 13-year-old daughter went to the doctor to start receiving therapy, hormone therapy, and he opposed it. And the father had 30 days to dispute it in court, so he did. He went, disputed it, shot down, and he was imprisoned for committing a hate crime against his own daughter for not supporting her and for not using her preferred pronouns. Dr. Jordan Peterson and other professors and teachers, they're also getting fined um, and fired by school boards for not using people's preferred pronouns. Um, And it it goes beyond just male and female. Um, I heard this summer that there are schools in Little Rock and, and their board meetings are contemplating putting litter boxes in the bathrooms for the kids who identify as cats. And as a teacher, you ha- if a child says that they are a cat, you have to identify them as a cat. This is not happening like on the other side of the world. This is in Arkansas. And so like, where does it stop? Where does the line stop? It's like, well, I want to be 12 again. Well, I want to be a dog. You know, where does it stop? This also affects you uh, because we have transgender women dominating the field in sports programs. Coaches and athletes cannot oppose them or say anything against them because it's discrimination. We have student athletes who have worked their whole life to make it to the big game, to qualify for the Olympics, and then here comes a transgender woman uh, and destroys them. So pretty soon, I'm about to play another clip, but pretty soon there's not going to be men's sports and women's sports. It's going to be men's sports and transgender sports because all the women are just going to be, they're going to be booted out. So, but there's doctors and professionals on the liberal side that say, there's not a disadvantage. If he was born a male and became a woman, like he's, that's not a disadvantage. 
everyone has their giftings, right? So let's watch a clip about that and just take a look for ourselves. male has just become the first transgender person to win a world title in cycling. First transgender weightlifter winning her maiden international event as a woman. A biological male winning a gold medal in a women's event now seems a matter of when, not if. Since sports events began, men and women have been segregated by gender to make the competitive events fairer due to differences in muscle mass, innate strength or testosterone levels. But nowadays, these physical differences no longer seem to be a determining factor. There are all kinds of reasons that people have advantages. Somebody's parents can give them year-round training. Somebody else is really, really tall and someone's really, really short. Sport has never been fair. You bought into that myth, so have a lot of other people. But let's face it, if I wanted to be a jockey, I couldn't be. Nature endows her gifts unevenly in society. It's true that some physical characteristics give athletes an unusual advantage in sports, like Michael Phelps's long arms or Usain Bolt's height. But the genetic difference of being born as a male or female and competing with the opposite gender proved to be more of a determining factor than any bodily developments in sports. If you go through puberty, you have all the benefits of having a male body. And even if you transition and reduce your testosterone, you're still going to have those benefits. You're going to have the, the bone structure, the slightly bigger heart, more red blood cells. So therefore, a female athlete competing against a transgender female is always going to be at a disadvantage. Testosterone levels are important because the amount of the hormone defines the eligibility of athletes to compete whenever sporting events are limited to a single sex, following IAAF rulings. I wish I could play the whole video for you, but don't have the time to, but that's crazy. Just saying there's no disadvantage and he's like up here and she's like right here. It's like, yeah, it's totally fair, totally fair. But okay, so how did we get here? Who started all of this? Why is this happening? Um, there are two people that uh, we can put a little bit of not blame, but yes. But who's responsible for this? Uh, two people, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. So um, Alfred Kinsey here, he was an American biologist, professor of entomology and zoology. Uh, he was a sexologist um, who in 1947 founded the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University. Uh, he's now known, it's now known as the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction. Uh, he was a social reformer. He wanted to rid society of Christian values uh, when it came to sexuality. He believed that children are sexual from birth um, and he believed that true happiness is found in a life of perverse sexual experimentation. So he formed his conclusions from data gathered from convicted sex offenders and child molesters. His research was conducted in prisons, not in everyday America. He performed sexual experiments on children, some under the age of one. 
Uh, and instead of suffering the consequences for his actions, he is celebrated today by Hollywood elites. They made a movie about him, um, and his ideas form the foundation for sexual education in public schools today. Uh, John Money, right here, he's the person who coined the phrase gender roles and gender identity. Um, he believed that babies were gender, gender neutral from birth, um, and that ultimately their environment determines if they're male or female. So he had a theory. Um, he had a theory that a boy could be raised as a girl and do just fine, okay? So he sought out to prove his theory and conducted an experiment on a set of twins. These are the Reimer twins, two twin boys. Um, their parents sent them to be circumcised when they were eight months old, and the first baby, um, the machinery malfunctioned, and it completely burnt his penis off. Um, and so the parents are like, okay, well, we're not sending our second son. What do we do about our first son? Like, what do we do? So John Money said, I have an idea. Um, let's raise him as a girl. Raise him as a girl. This will be better for him socially, emotionally. This is what you need to do. So Money went on to experiment, um, and he conducted abusive experiments on the twins. He had them perform sex acts with each other. Um, the boy grew up feeling totally rejected by both genders because he's wearing dresses and given dolls when he's wanting to go wrestle and climb trees and play with cars. And so when he became a teenager, his uh, parents told him the truth about what happened, and he chose to detransition back to a boy. But this did not reverse the years of trauma and psychological damage that was done to him. He later went on Oprah and did interviews, and they wrote all kinds of stuff about him, given his testimony and sharing. Um, but so much damage was done when he was 38 years old, he, he committed suicide. And uh, his twin brother died of a drug overdose. Instead of money, John Money, giving an apology for what had happened, he instead became famous, and his ideas were adopted um, into, again, into our social, our public schools today, and part of our, like, sex education, his ideology was adopted instead. So because of these two, um, Alfred and John, we have it drilled into our minds that from early childhood that personal happiness is the key and just your sexuality, just live that out freely however you want to do it. That's what will make you happy. But we need to know that there's an agenda at work here. Uh, there are lobby groups driving this LGBTQ plus bus. Um, it's in every movie. It's in every TV show. It's in every commercial. It's in all the stores. And you've got Pride Month now. We're just celebrating it everywhere. Um, and really, this should be like a, a minority issue group because it's not that big, but it's being pushed. It's in, it's in Amazon's algorithms when, when we're shopping online. I'm just going to run through a few stats here. 82% um, um, of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves, and 40% have actually attempted suicide, with suicidality highest among transgender youth. Uh, the risk of death by suicide after sex reassignment surgery versus the general population is 19 times higher. The American Journal of um, Psychiatry reported that transgender individuals are more than six times as likely to attempt suicide, resulting in hospitalizations. They're three times as likely to be prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. They're six times more likely to have a mood or anxiety disorder than the general population. And this, I just want to point out, this isn't among people who their family like rejected them or like they don't have a support system. This is across the board. So someone who transitions and all their friends and all their family are for it, these numbers are still applying to them as well. There was a man who uh, transitioned 
to become a woman after being married for 17 years to a woman um, and having children. He later met Jesus Christ. He detransitioned, um, and he started a website called um, sexchangeregret.com to find out if he's the only one that had like this deep regret after transitioning. So in the first year, 750 people wrote in about the regret that they felt. Cool. Well, within just a few years, in 2015, they had 350,000 people come to the website in just 12 months who, who said that they had total regret for their transitioning. So you look at people who transition after two to four years, and they're like, they seem happy. That worked out for them. I'm glad that they feel fulfilled. Seems like a success. But regret does not set in until five to 10 years after transitioning and the suicide rate skyrockets seven to 10 years after transitioning. So with suicide rates so high, why is it still being pushed so hard by radicals? Who's benefiting from this? Who benefits from it most is Big Pharma. Big Pharma. I don't know if you can guess how much money Big Pharma makes off of one individual who transitions to the opposite sex. 1.3 million per person. Okay, you're like, what? Surgery's not that expensive. It's not just a surgery, which I was making sure I'm still up to date on all my facts. And so earlier today, I was doing some more research. They said surgeries would be about $100,000 after insurance, if your insurance covers any of it. But you don't just like transition and then that's it. And like, oh, now I'm a man. You have to continually take these hormones and these pills to continue being the opposite sex. So if a transgender woman um, stops taking estrogen, uh, sorry, if a woman stops taking their uh, cross-hormone medicine, they can have a menstrual cycle again. Even, even years after they've been taking it and after having their sex reassignment surgery. So what better way for Big Pharma to line their pockets than to, by telling young children that they should transition? So the Big Pharma companies do not care about you. But do you know who does? God does. God cares about you. God cares about what you have been through and what you are hurting with. God does not have an agenda like a man does. God's not trying to get rich. God just wants your heart. Um, and, you know, I said in the beginning, like, this topic is so near and dear to my heart. Um, I even have this in my notes. But uh, when I was in high school, I went through just this stage and really looking back it was the rapid onset gender dysphoria where um, I began living a homosexual lifestyle for several years and all of my friends were struggling with their with their identity and were transgender and completely dressed the opposite way and these were my best friends that I loved so much and and I really developed a heart for them and wanting to see them change and the Lord radically changed my life and brought me out of that and I was I was the one that's kind of dressed in more masculine and I'm thinking I've never felt this way now, but sure, I'll go with it. And it was just that total peer pressure of it. Um, and the Lord delivered me from that. And so I'm not just talking about this just to, just to make a good point here, um, but it's because it, it is something that I care deeply about. Um, and as I wrap up part one, I just want to stress how important it is um, that we, the church, do not throw shame and guilt and condemnation on anybody for what they are walking through, for what they are going through. Um, we are called to speak truth in love. Um, and, you know, if you have an agenda to just like see how many gay people you can convert back straight to make yourself feel good about yourself, um, I would just say move along. <laughs> uh, don't do anything if it's, if it's not motivated by love. 
Don't ever address anyone's sin without first addressing the gospel. You don't start with the topic of somebody's sin. You start with Jesus, and you start with, with the cross um, in that mission. So um, this week was mostly informational. I threw out a bunch of facts and statistics um, and all of that. But next year, next year, next week, <laughs> I'll teach it next year too. Um, but next week, we're really going to dive into the most important question, which is what does God say about it? Um, how do I respond to it? What questions, like how do I answer these questions to people um, in my life who are struggling with it? So come back next week, and um, it will be super helpful with helping you with that. So if y'all will stand with me. All right, Lord, God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. God, I just pray for every prodigal that's in our lives, Lord, that you would bring them home. Jesus, every person that is struggling with their identity and with their purpose and of who they are, with all the chaos in the world and all the brainwashing that's happening, God, that you would just capture their hearts. Lord, that you would use the body of Christ to speak truth and to love people, to show grace for people. God, that we would just be drawn back to your heart, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the body here. I thank you that we're changing our community, that we're changing a nation. Lord, that it starts with the church speaking truth. I thank you for who you are, for having grace for us for following us down that road with a robe and a ring, and a ring, Lord God, that you care so much about us and that you love us that much, that you come after the one and you leave the 99, God. We thank you and we love you. Go before us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.